Um, good morning, church. Today's reading comes from Romans 12, verses 9 to 21. Um, before we read, let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, open our hearts and minds by the power of your Holy Spirit, that as the scriptures are read and your word is proclaimed, we may hear with joy what you have to say to us today. Amen. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil, cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your scripture fervor serving the Lord. Spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. This is the word of the Lord. Church, we praise the Lord that uh, we can come here today to listen to his words. But before we go into the scripture, I um, uh, want to say a few words. We we're really humbled by Pastor Joseph for his words, uh, and uh, we want to thank God for allowing us to be part of this family for the last four or five years. And uh, we love you all. Now, I believe every race or society observes a certain code of conduct or ethics. A few weeks ago, we went to Laksa village for dinner. I'm sure some of you have been there before. We went with my brother's family. And when the dishes arrived or come onto the table, I said to my nephew's wife, he just got married recently, uh, in New Zealand. He married a Korean. And I said, um, oh, you all can start first. But she said to me, oh, no, uncle, you all, means the older one, should start first because um, that is how Koreans respect the elders during dinner's time. In fact, it was quite refreshing for me. You see, in Romans chapter 12 to 15, Verse 13, Paul gave the church in Rome very specific instructions on how to live out their faith in their daily lives. They cover areas like the Christian ethics, um, the Christian duties to the states, and so on. But why did Paul want to instruct them to live according to the Christian ethics? One of the reasons is to show their gratitude to God for His grace and mercies. You see, gratitude should always follow by action. The second reason, I believe, is to bring harmony to the church. Because 
of the tension between the Gentile and the, the, the Jewish Christians during that time. Now today we are going to look at just a section of it, Romans 12, 9 to, to 21, and this passage primarily covers the Christian behaviours devoted to love. Apart from verse 14, from 9 to 16, centre on the relationships between the believers. And verse 17 to 21, centre on believers' behaviour towards those who persecute them. That's why in the NIV Bible, the heading of these 22 verses is Love in Action, which happens to be the title of today's sermon. You see, Paul began in verse 9 by appealing to the church to love without hypocrisy. He said, let love be without hypocrisy. NIV translates this verse as, love must be sincere. The word sincere is derived from the Latin word sincerus, meaning pure. And that's the only word I know in Latin. Interestingly, some people think that Sincere also comes from another two Latin words, sine and sera. That means without wax. Then what has without wax has to do with pure? Well, I come across this article which says that wax was commonly used during the early Roman times to fill in the cracks on the porcelain or the sculptures. Why? To to hide the defects. So an honest merchant advertised his jar as sinaceros, without wax, means the jar is perfect, without any contamination. Then what kind of love is without contamination, meaning sincere? Now Paul goes on to say in verse 9b, detest or hate evil, cling to what is good. A love which is pure is without anything which is evil, like jealousy, hatred, deceit, cover-up. Instead, genuine love should cling on what is good. I think we all know these things. Patience, kindness, humility, not self-seeking, and so on and so on. In fact, in 1 Corinthians 13, 6 says, Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with truth. Then Paul proceeds to verse 10a. He says, Love one another deeply as brothers and sisters. This is love in action and not hidden away in the closet. When love is genuine, then we will be able to love one another deeply as brothers and sisters. And we may ask, who are our brothers and sisters? It does not just include our biological brothers and sisters. In fact, they include all those who belong to the Lord Jesus Christ. It is sad that sometimes such things like different church denominations stop us from loving other Christians as our brothers and sisters just because they sing with their hands raised and we don't. It is also important to note that loving one another is not an individual matter. A person made this comment. He said, I have no problem to live according to all the Christian ethics if it weren't for the other people in the church. 
Now, this sort of attitude goes against what Paul is saying here. And verse 10b say, Honor one another above yourself. Now, we should never consider ourselves to be better than other people or more important than other people just because we think we are better qualified or we hold a certain position in the church. But in humility, consider others more important than ourselves. Now, so far, Paul appealed to the church to love one another, and now he appealed to them to have the right attitude to serve the Lord. And what did he say? He said, do not lack diligence in zeal. Be fervent in the spirit. Serve the Lord. Well, we were told to love one another deeply, but how does it look in practice? In this passage, Paul suggested two practical ways. One is to share with the saints in their needs. Well, I suspect in those days, the poor and the sick were not entitled to any government welfare like in Australia. I'm not sure whether there was Medicare or unemployment benefit or even age pension during that time. So Paul appealed to the Christians that they should help those brothers and sisters who are in financial distress. Recently, a friend of mine told me that in the church that he goes to, there are many doctors and dentists in the congregation. Now, I was thinking to myself, these people in the church definitely won't need any financial help from my friend. So how can he put this verse into practice? In fact, there are many ways a Christian can help other Christians who are in real financial distress. One thing come to mind is to sponsor a child or two or three who live in very poor conditions through organizations like Compassion Australia. Now, there are thousands of these children who are living be- below the poverty line. Then Paul gives another example in 13b. Pursue hospitality. Now, from my understanding, in the New Testament time, travel was dangerous and uh, hotels are scarce. I'm not sure whether they have hotels. Their inns are scarce and expensive. So early believers often opened their homes for Christian travelers. Sure, today our environment is very different, but we can still open our homes to missionaries or to church workers who come from interstate or overseas. Or at least consider our home to open up for Bible studies or church activities. Now, it seems that up to now, Paul put the priority for Christians to help those who are in the same faith. Some people might say, hey, this is discrimination. But the truth of the matter is, Christians should also help those who are in need outside our faith. As Galatians 6.10 says, Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us work for the good of all. Now, the all includes people outside our faith. But then Paul pointed out that the emphasis should still be in Christ, to, to Christians. He continued, especially for those who belong to the household of faith. Scripture tells us that there is an emphasis for Christians to help those who are within the same faith, faith, because we are families. 
And when we love our brothers and sisters deeply, naturally, we will rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. And this is in verse 15. Otherwise, we are more inclined to shed a sympathizing tear to those who suffer. And our lack of love for them stop us to rejoice with them when they rejoice. As an example, what happened when the daughter of Ong's family in the church won a full scholarship to the best school in Melbourne? And my daughter couldn't even get couldn't even pass the entrance at, at, at tests. Can I truly rejoice with them? That is the test, whether our love to the own family is genuine. I say in the beginning of the sermon that there was a tension between the Gentile and the Jewish Christians. That's why in verse 16, Paul urged them to live in harmony. He said, live in harmony with one another. And then Paul appealed to them strongly, do not be proud, instead associate with humble. Do not be wise in your own estimation. Imagine this scene in an early church congregation. There's this rich man who recently got converted, comes to his first service in the church. The usher point him to the seat and say, sir, would you please sit there? But the man replied, I cannot sit there. That would be to sit beside my slave. In God's family, all of earthly distinctions based on race, status, professions, even looks are gone. Now, associate with the humble can also mean to do tasks in the church that do not attract a lot of attention. I recall when I was studying in Wrigley College, and out of curiosity, I asked one of my lecturers. Andrew, it wasn't you, so you can relax. I asked him, how do you serve in your church being a lecturer? You are so good. Andrew is excellent, all right? I just want to make that point. And he says something like this, my job is to help my wife making sandwiches in the kitchen. You see, this sort of task, making sandwiches in the kitchen, is hidden away behind the scene where no one notices. Unless, of course, there's mushroom in the sandwich. Who makes a sandwich and put mushroom in it? Now, joke aside, it's probably unfair to mushroom. I love eating mushroom myself. So, friends, can we imagine worshipping in a church where, one, everyone loves one another deeply as brothers and sisters, Everyone serves the Lord with zeal and enthusiasm. Everyone cares for one another and pray for one another during tough times. And everyone treats another with humility and lives in harmony with one another. Don't you think God would be so pleased with this kind of church? Now from verse 17 to 21, I'm going to include verse 14. I don't know why Paul put in verse 14, but anyway, that's besides the point. Paul shifted to how believers should respond to unbelievers who inflict evil on them. Verse 14 says, Bless those who persecute you. 
bless and do not curse. Do not repay, uh, verse 17, do not repay anyone evil for evil. Give careful thoughts to do what is honourable in everyone's eyes. Verse 18, if possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Now, this is tough. I think it's very tough. Human natural response is to strike back to those who persecute us or try to get even. How can we live at peace with these people? But Paul appealed to them not to retaliate, to repay evil for evil, but rather Christians should place the fate of our enemies firmly in the hands of God. It is because God will repay any injustice on the last day, even though some of these wicked people will get away from punishment in their lifetime. That's why Paul said in verse 19, Friends, do not avenge yourselves. Instead, leave room for God's wrath because it is written, Vengeance belongs to me. I will repay, says the Lord. But this does not mean that judicial courts should not execute justice for those who clearly break the law. The people who break the laws should bear the brunt of the law enforcement as well. In fact, recently there was an article in The Age where this pedophile committed a serious crime against this young girl. Normally, this sort of crime will attract a 15-year sentence, jail sentence. But this judge only sentenced this guy to a 12-month jail term. Many lawmakers in the, this country say the punishment does not fit the crime. In fact, the parent, I can understand the parent of the victim must be so distressed towards this guy. The only way one can conquer the feeling of vengeance and revenge towards wicked people is to firmly believe that ultimately there is justice when God will right all wrongs in the end. And this applies to thousands of wicked people who persecuted Christians. Paul then went on to appeal to the believers in verse 20. He said, But your enemy, when your enemy is hungry, feed them. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. Now we might say to Apostle Paul, hang on, you, you have asked us earlier not to you know, pay evil with evil, and now you are asking us to go even further, to feed, to meet the needs of our enemies. Yes, this is what. Paul said. Now, I, I wrestle with this, but there's an article I come across in our daily bread devotion, which might help us, perhaps, to see how this verse plays out in practice. During a time of war in Armenia, a Turkish soldier pursued a young woman and her brother down the street. Now, you can imagine that. It's terrifying. He cornered them and then mercilessly shot the brother and let the sisters go free, but not after she witnessed her brother's murder. Later, this woman was working as a nurse in a military hospital when this Turkish soldier was captured and brought into her ward as a wounded prisoner. Now, if I'm this woman, I say, 
wow, this is the opportunity. Since he was critically wounded, and if she had, would have left him alone for a little bit longer, he would have died. At first, he wrestled with the desire for personal vengeance. But then she realized that the Lord wanted her to treat this man. So she nursed him back to health. Now the article went on to say, later this soldier who recognized this woman, and he said, why didn't you let me die? He couldn't understand. She replied, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. You see, the man was silent for a long time, and finally he said, I never knew anyone could have such a faith. If that's what it does, tell me more about it. I want it. You see, the key point of this testimony is that this nurse obey what the Lord asked her to do. And in verse 20b, it says, For in, doing, in so doing, you will be heaping fiery coals on his head. Now, what does it mean by heaping fiery coals on one's head? It sounds to me that it is dangerous. It might even kill the person. In fact, there are two ways to look at this metaphor. As we all know, burning coals can cause pain or even kill us when we come in contact with them, let alone put on our head. But love, like the fiery coals, can also cause us pain. So one explanation is that our unexpected kindness to our enemy may cause him or her to be ashamed of his action or her action which might lead them to remorse, contrition, and may be to repentance. Like what the nurse did to that wounded Turkish soldier. He must have felt the burning pain of remorse and wanted the faith that the nurse has. Now, the other explanation of this metaphor is that it's God's justice. For fiery coals, it's a sign and mean of God's judgment and punishment of the evil, meaning vengeance belongs to God. My view is this. Apostle Paul's main purpose is to appeal to the believers to attend to the need of their enemies, assuming the enemy poses no threat to them at that point in time. And if our actions make our enemy feel ashamed and remorse of his hostility towards us and move him to repentance, and come to Christ, and that is good news. But if it doesn't, then we put him to the hands of God. He is a righteous judge who will set straight every wrong that is done. He will punish the wicked. Now we are coming to the last verse. Paul urged the believers, do not be conquered by evil, but conquer evil with good. You see, when sin entered this world and death spread to all people, how did God conquer evil? Did He send an army of angels to combat Satan? No. God cast out the evil of the world by sending His Son to die for our sin. And through His resurrection, we are saved and death is conquered. 
So from the believer's perspective, what should we do if we want to be victorious? The strategy recommended by Paul is very unconventional. We fight evil with evil, then evil will have the victory. That's what the verse says. So in order to conquer evil, we must conquer evil with good. As we have seen in the case of that nurse who chose to conquer evil with good and have won her enemy over. Well, in conclusion, what do we need to remember or take away out of today's message? I think the first point is this. Our gratitude to God for His mercies and grace in saving us when we were still enemies of God should drive us to live a life devoted to love one another deeply as brothers and sisters. Two, to treat one another in humility and bear each other's burden. And in doing so, we will be able to live in harmony with everyone. And the church will then be united to do the gospel work. And the second point to remember is this. We should serve our Lord with zeal and enthusiasm and, and not to be lazy. I know sometimes it's hard, you know. When you come back from work, you know, it's hard. It is because doing God's work is not just a walk in the park. One, we need to be patient because we'll come across all kinds of difficulties. Two, we'll need to be faithful in prayer. Prayer for spiritual strength and preservation. And then we must be joyful serving the Lord because our hope is in Christ. Lastly, what should be our attitude towards our oppressor, people who inflict misery on us? Now, I'm not referring to Christians, brothers or sisters, who may have caused us pain from time to time. Now, they are not our enemy. We cannot consider them as our enemy. They are sinful. Well, I think in Australia, we have not experienced yet the same level of persecutions and oppression when we compare to our brothers and sisters in other parts of the world. But you may have migrated from a country where you have experienced evil, thing, evil things done to you because you are a Christian or because of your Christian faith. Paul appealed to us, to you, if you are in that situation, that our attitude towards our oppressor should not be vengeance, should not be revenge. But trust that the Lord will ultimately judge them and they will bear the brunt of God's wrath if they do not repent and turn to Christ. Now, if you feel that we're all struggling in any of these areas, let us come to the foot of the cross and ask God to forgive us and renew our minds so that we will walk by the Spirit and bring honour to God's name. Shall we pray? Gracious God, we thank you for your word this morning. We pray that you will continue to transform our mind and help us to produce the fruits of obedience so that 
we can live a life pleasing to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.